0: 5G wireless networks are on the way, and with them, even greater danger of radio frequency cyber attacks. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. Radio frequency technology invites hackers and spies, and as networks grow more sophisticated, so do efforts to violate them. Now, with the coming of 5G, we face an even more perilous RF landscape. On this episode, we get an understanding of the threat from Bob Baxley, chief technology officer with Bastille Networks. He tells us how the coming of the Internet of Things has made communications more vulnerable to hacking than ever before. Now we also have to worry about the vulnerability of the Internet of radios. Let's find out just how secure we are and what we can do about it. Here is my conversation with Bob Baxley. Bob Baxley, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Bob, I think we're all pretty familiar with the phrase the Internet of Things, but perhaps those outside your business are less familiar with the phrase Internet of radios. Could you define that for me, please? Sure. A couple things to think about. The first is maybe not
1: everyone is familiar with the word radio in the in the way that, that we mean it. Imagine radio being the radio set in your car or something like this. But more generically, radio just means radio frequency or electromagnetic spectrum communication links. So when we say Internet of Radio, what we've noticed in the Internet of Things is that the interesting part about the IoT from a security perspective is the connectivity between all the IoT devices. And since these tend to be low-power devices that are physically distributed and they're being hard to get to places, they tend to be connected over wireless protocols, i.e. radio, radio communication links. So that's how we think of internet of radio, and that's why we coined this term, because it highlights one of the most important aspects of IoT from the security perspective.
0: So when we talk today about radio frequency or RF, we're going to be specifically talking, as you say, about the connections between those devices and the like, are we not? Not the use of RF, say, in a warehouse. Do you have an RF gun and stuff like that, or is that all part of it as well? It's all part of it. I mean, you do want to be
1: aware, if you're running a warehouse, of The various RF emitters in the space, even the ones that are unintentionally emitting, because they may be disrupting critical links in your space. We would think about that as just a client device. On It may be a Wi-Fi network. It may be a Zigbee network. And you certainly want to be aware of those sorts of devices, because Mm -hmm. they tend to be part of the attack surface into your infrastructure.
0: Now, the Internet of Things has been with us for some time now, a few years, and RF and radio frequency for much longer than that, obviously. What has been the experience up to this point in terms of the most prevalent types of attacks on the network? There's a few ways to think about that. First of all, there's a physical security angle. So that's not even necessarily a network
1: attack. That's IoT devices tend to be connected to pieces of infrastructure or even people. And if you understand where those devices are, what they're doing, their trajectories throughout your facilities, there's physical security insights you can draw from that. So you may have geo-fenced areas where you don't want devices or you don't want certain pieces of infrastructure. By observing the RF emissions from those devices, you can understand where they are and what they're doing. On the security and networking side, there's again a few ways to think about it. One is we see this problem we call the radio ready problem. There may be lots of pieces of infrastructure in your environment, where you are controlling that piece of infrastructure, that industrial control system, over a wired Ethernet interface. So you've literally got an Ethernet cord plugged into your infrastructure, mm-hmm. and that's how you think you're controlling it, but that is how you're controlling it. But what you may not realize is that that piece of infrastructure shipped with a radio interface as well, maybe multiple radio interfaces, because some other vendor who wanted the same functionality also wanted to be able to control it over ZigBee or Wi-Fi or... Bluetooth, or some wireless interface. Um, so unbeknownst to you, now you've got infrastructure in your space that you're controlling over the Ethernet, but also has an open connection, likely with default username and password credentials, waiting for someone else to connect to it and control that device. So having visibility into all the clients in your space and understanding that they're there is critical because it's very likely that they're whatever wireless interface they're exposing, if you're not using it, is not secure and could lead to a jumping
0: off point into your network. In the relatively early history of IoT and the like, has this been a serious problem? Have there been many hacking attacks? I think there have been. So there's been a number of jumping off point attacks
1: where a vendor system or a system that's a bridge system, like a wireless bridge system in a facility has led to someone gaining access they shouldn't have had and may have had even bigger repercussions that weren't made public. So those are issues. And and so I I mentioned that you discovering clients that may have these vulnerabilities. Some of the attacks that we're seeing that have been released in the literature, they are using novel RF attack vectors to get onto your network, to get onto your devices, and then from there use those devices as pivot points into the larger infrastructure network. We have seen those out in the wild. Another kind of class of RF threat that's different, so I've talked about physical security, cybersecurity, There's another angle on thinking about how uh, cybersecurity threat, which isn't just clients that you don't realize have wireless connections. And these are clients that have malware on them that they may have gotten from outside of your facility, and now they're being brought into your facility. And those may also be used for jumping off points into infrastructure in your facility. Mm -hmm. There was a Zigbee attack called the IoT worm that was an interesting attack where the researchers. Found an exploit in the Philips Hue light bulb standard that uses Zigbee under the hood to network those wireless light bulbs. And they showed that they could compromise one light bulb, put their firmware on it that was infected, and the network would automatically propagate that, that firmware to any other Zigbee enabled light bulb in the facility. And then those light bulbs talk to a hub, and that hub is most likely on network, it's definitely on the internet, and it's probably going to the internet through your corporate network. So these are the kinds of vulnerabilities and attack vectors we're seeing.
0: What are typically the motivations of the attackers? What are they out to do other than get into your system? Once they're there, what do they do?
1: The critical step for hackers who want to exploit your data or make money by holding your data hostage, before they do that, they have to get a foothold into your network so this is just one more mechanism for them to get a foothold into your network. There's classical mechanisms like you've got insecure web servers or you've got insecure SSH credentials, these sorts of things. This wireless vector is just one more vector into your network. And then once they're on your network, they can exploit it for any of the existing cybersecurity attack, money-making schemes that hackers use out there.
0: The same stuff that we see stealing of credit card numbers, ransom exactly. attacks, proprietary Corporate information, just the whole ball of, of wax there is the same thing, right?
1: Those are hackers like money, and of black hat hackers. I think there's also people out there who have sensitive enough infrastructure where they may be worried about nation state hackers. And in that case, money is not the objective of the hacker, but maybe disruption is. So if you are running a critical facility, a critical infrastructure facility, or you're doing sophisticated manufacturing, it's possible that there's either trade secrets that are being exposed by these sorts of attack factors, or it's possible that your infrastructure is brittle to certain attacks. And if those attacks are actuated, they could bring down some critical piece of infrastructure.
0: Now, up to this point, has the pace of the technology, has it actually outpaced the security that's meant to protect it?
1: I think so to a certain extent. I mean, one thing that's
0: really interesting about the RF space is that there's lots and
1: lots of protocols out there. For wired networks, the protocol communication stack is pretty normalized now. We're all using TCP IP. There's not a proliferation of protocols that you have to worry about. If you can secure that network, that's probably all that you're running in your space. It's not the same scene, though, in the radio frequency space. You've got Wi-Fi, which is typically used to connect laptops and data-heavy devices that are connected or have big batteries. And then you've got IoT protocols like LoRa and Sigfox and Zigbee and Z-Wave and other variations of 802.154 protocols. And each vendor, in many cases, is just generating their own protocol or they're using some software development kit from a chip manufacturer and then putting their own security or their own twists on an existing physical layer or MAC layer protocol, but then they're trying to implement the higher layers themselves. And that tends to be a big problem because standardized protocols like Bluetooth have had lots and lots of people vet them and lots of time and different industry partners looking at how it might be vulnerable. When you get manufacturers implementing proprietary protocols, often because it's cheaper or just easier, those protocols and devices tend to not be very well vetted. And it's very likely that there'll be a vulnerability there. Some examples, for instance, at Bastille, we released a couple of years ago a whole list of cybersecurity CVEs. So these are vulnerabilities we found in mouse and keyboards. So mouse and keyboard vendors, except for Apple, tend to create their own 2.4 gigahertz protocol and in many cases tend to either not use encryption at all or roll their own encryption. And among the various vulnerabilities we found across almost a dozen manufacturers, some of them used encryption keys that were essentially publicly broadcast, so even though the keystrokes between your keyboard and your computer were encrypted, they were encrypted with an encryption key that was trivial to get. And then other protocols, other manufacturers, you're using no encryption at all. Mm -hmm. And those become vulnerabilities because now a hacker who understands that protocol, understands that encryption key, can inject keystrokes into any device that has the dongle side of the mouse-keyboard combination plugged into the computer, and the computer is oftentimes already on the network. So you can imagine someone injecting keystrokes, turning on a a terminal, and then making a remote tunnel connection to anywhere in the world if that computer is on the Internet.
0: So, it sounds like what you're saying is that the technology itself is not what is inadequate. What's inadequate is the lax processes of people in making use of the technology. I mean, yes, the lack of standards is a big deal, but you also have people just accepting factory default passwords on connected devices and the like. So, it's really more people than technology that's the problem here, it seems.
1: That's true. But part of the people process is to maybe vet the infrastructure and the technology they're buying to understand these vulnerabilities and mitigate them before they happen. But yeah, certainly default password, understanding when you get a device shipped to you that has an interface that you don't even realize it has, and then shutting down that interface if you're not using it. Mm -hmm. Another class of attacks that have been released recently do attack Bluetooth, which I consider to be one of the most hardened wireless standards And even there, the Bluetooth standard leaves enough open to interpretation that the chip vendors may misimplement or not consider corner cases that hackers can exploit. So there was a suite of a dozen or so vulnerabilities released called Swaintooth, and these were all attacking various Bluetooth devices. And the, the core of most of them was just sending a malformed Bluetooth packet. So if you send a Bluetooth packet, it has several header fields Some of those fields specify the length of the next field. So I might say the next field is going to be five bits. And if you fiddle with those, if you say it's a two-bit field and you actually send five bits, and whoever implemented the Bluetooth stack doesn't handle that corner case where those two don't match, these researchers demonstrated they can crash infrastructure, crash these Bluetooth devices, either bricks them permanently or cause them to reboot temporarily.
0: So the short transmission distances of Bluetooth are no protection necessarily against being hacked in the way that you just described in this example, you still do need to have enough proximity to inject that signal. But
1: Bluetooth can go for 100 meters, something like that. In our experiments that we've done, we've seen connections that far are normal. So between a Fitbit and a phone, for instance, if you walk across a football field, those two will stay connected. And if you're a really motivated hacker, you can use directional antennas, like a Yagi antenna, to extend that by 3 to 5x. So now you've got a really long distance run to whatever device you're trying to attack. For the mouse and keyboard vulnerability, for instance, we have a YouTube video where we do that. You think of the mouse and keyboard link being a short link, but if you use the right antenna, you can inject that hundreds and hundreds of feet.
0: Okay, so now comes 5G, which is on the way in the pretty near future and which has engendered a number of potential horror stories about people just going crazy about, afraid that this is is going to be a nightmare for security. What is the truth of 5G? Is it going to create fresh vulnerabilities that will have to be addressed? Should we be that afraid of it? I mean, what's, what's the deal there? 5G is
1: an evolution of the 3GPP protocol specification that goes all the way back to 3G, uh, even before that. That protocol is actually really well-vetted, and there's tons and tons of really smart people who have put a lot of work into making it secure. So I think attacking 5G over the wireless interface will not be that big of a problem because it's a very, very secure protocol. I think there's opportunities for 5G devices to be misconfigured and have these same sort of default username password issues that do create problems. So if your space becomes even more networked because everything is on 5G and everything is on some corporate VPN or even a locally deployed 5G network, it's very likely that that will expand the attack surface for your enterprise.
0: So will technology have to respond with even more sophisticated solutions, or is the technology in place now to deal with it?
1: No, I think you'll need a technology out there to monitor your 5G networks, understand where those clients are, what kind of data they're passing, the volume of that data, and if they're moving and these sorts of things. So no, I definitely think you're going to need some technology to understand your network. Just like you spend money on network security products, like intrusion detection systems for your wired network, Any chief security officer worth their salt has some mechanism in place to understand when somebody plugs in a laptop into their Ethernet network, and then they have some other set of mechanisms to understand if that device is authorized, you're going to want the same sort of thing with all of your wireless networks, including your 5G networks. Without that visibility, it's impossible to implement security.
0: So what has to happen now going forward? What is the big thing that we all need to be doing, whether it's on the people side, the process side, the technology side, to make sure that we're shoring up our RF networks for the foreseeable future? If you're a big
1: commercial enterprise, an enterprise who's implementing these networks, you need some visibility into them. So I think you need some sort of RF sensing platform that will tell you where these devices are, what they're doing, and how much data is passing between them. Otherwise, you're, you're completely flying blind. You have no idea what networks are in your space. And if you don't know what's in your space, it's impossible to secure them.
0: Okay. Well, Bob Baxley of Bastille Networks, I want to thank you very much for painting a picture for us of the current situation of security for RF networks and, and how it might develop with additional technology going forward. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bob. That was my conversation with Bob Baxley of Bastille Networks, talking about security concerns in the age of 5G. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain.